Hi, welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist. I just drank a Mountain Dew and ran three miles, so either I'm going to be totally pumped for this episode or fall asleep in about 30 minutes. And I am David Moore, and I took a nap. I also had some coffee, and I've been in our 3D printing farm to check our new crop of printers. Naps are a legitimate strategy. Yeah, nap, <laughs> naps are very legitimate strategy. We should do more naps, especially here in the United States. We have been not able to record for the last couple of weeks for the podcast portion of it, in addition to our lateness on editing. So what has been happening over the last couple of weeks, Ken? Well, my my kids were very excited that the event has finally happened. Horizon Forbidden West came out. We thought we would have to get it on PS5 because we thought it was going to be a PS5 exclusive. We were happily wrong. You can get it for the PS4. Uh, this is the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, which is like Aloy is this uh, female character who travels through the um, post-apocalyptic America after massive environmental collapse and there's machines and you hunt machines and there's this cool epic story and it's a great open sunbox. Sunbox. Not sunbox. <laughs> sandbox. Although there's a lot of sun and the Sun King is like a major character, but yep. in any case, it's huge. It's tremendous open world game uh it's most memorable to me because i played the first game i got it the day before i broke my ankle and mm. then i spent the next like two months on my sofa playing uh horizon zero dawn yeah you <laughs> like, could definitely that was my, do that. my window into the outside world right like was playing horizon zero dawn yep i played it on pc i am anxiously awaiting the windows release i, I have a ps4 I have two girls and don't really have access to it very much. So <laughs> <laughs> thankfully my son is sufficiently distracted by his PC and gaming with his friends on that, that I have been able to uh, reserve a fair amount of time on the PS4, especially if I stay up until like three in the morning. Gotcha. Yeah. I've, you know, those I've health, healthy sleep habits. Yeah, really. It's just great. You know, <laughs> like we can do that just like we were in our twenties. Right. So yeah, right. it's a beautiful game. It's just as beautiful as the first game. Uh, even on the PS4, it looks great. It plays great. It's, uh, you know, I've had some, some weird clipping and, and like a very, very occasional frame rate issues, but, uh, unlike other, uh, games in recent memory, uh, we're looking at you cyberpunk. I believe they had, uh, like, I think it was just unplayable on, on they, console. It would have they first launched, pulled right? it from the Sony store for all the, the playstations, <laughs> including the new ones. I think it's out now. Like they were, they're still patching it. They're still adding features and patching it. It's like it was not a complete game when they released it. Yeah. So apparently, like the developers behind Horizon Forbidden West, you'll have to just trust me on this because I don't know that I can find the article again where I read this. But they they were doing development as the pandemic was hitting, and so it actually helped them because then basically they did PS4. They made sure it would run on the PS4, and then they enhanced it for the PS5. So it's not like PS4 gotcha. was an afterthought. It's actually kind of a, a native PS4 game. And it's just, it's fun. So I got to get as much game time as I can before my daughter comes home from spring break, for spring break. Right. Because uh, I think she may not sleep. <laughs> because she freaking loved the first game. And this is going to be her, she's going to have one week where she can play Horizon before she has to go back to college. So Gotcha. So uh, speaking of post-apocalyptic, I also picked up, I've been waiting for this to come out in softcover for some time because uh, it was cheaper. Oh, uh, yeah. Mutant Crawl Classics, which I am currently holding out for David. I have, I have the screen. PDF version of it. Our friend John Schmar has run Dungeon Crawl Classics several times for me uh, and, and others, not just for me. I'm, I'm not special in that way. Uh, but <laughs> but it has inspired me to to go, hmm, maybe I should run one of those level zero mutant call crawl classics so where everyone has four characters and see who survives. Yeah. It's fantastic. It is right it is the right amount of nineteen seventies post apocalyptic gonzo. You can play sentient plants, mutants. Man, animal, you know, human, animal, hybrids, pure strain humans, mutant humans, like the whole the whole nine yards. There's like all kinds of cool power effects and you can burn attributes to spend powers and boost rolls and what have you. And so uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping now that the, the pandemic is shifting yet again, that if I can get my real world group together again, I would love to run this because be cool. it has funky dice. It has so many charts. You know, it's just it's. 
Yep. It's kind of what I want right now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've come to realize that that like Mutant Crawl Classics really is kind of a spiritual successor to the old school Gamma World, and that I may have been playing Gamma World in a way that was not intended by the original designer, which is to have the same character for a while. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, you know, I... I I love Gamble World. I love the concept of it. Back then, the idea that your character would die and you'd have to roll up a new character in my game, my game groups back then was not something that we really thought about or, or that wasn't something that really happened a whole lot. Right. You know, they would occasionally, someone would occasionally have a character die, but it was not nearly as often as something like Mutant Crawl Classics or Dungeon Crawl Classics would, would have happened. Yeah, I think this is very much, uh, you know, live fast, die hard, leave a glowing corpse, right? <laughs> and uh, and then roll up into the character, because, you know, there's yep. rules for that. So it, it's cool. I've been having fun reading it. The tables, like I say, the tables are bonkers, right? It uses, like, 24-sided dice and, like, I don't know, 17-sided dice. I bought them for... I also have Dungeon Crawl Classics. I've only played it a couple of times. But I got the funky dice, because I love funky dice. But yeah, I gotcha. think this is... I think I enjoy this even more than I like Dungeon Crawl Classics, because Dungeon Crawl Classics is a big, thick book with a lot of charts. This mm-hmm. is a, a much more, you know, manageable book that you can steal from MCC. So, anyway. Gotcha. Um, we watched the Olympics. The Olympics are now uh, well over at this point. But yeah. uh, So we got Peacock, so that we could watch the Olympics streaming. Um, and now that they're over, we stayed to watch Resident Alien, which is a total throwback to like our earliest episodes, because I think you were watching Resident Evil, Resident Evil, Resident Alien when it was on Sci-Fi. Yes, and it's still on Sci-Fi, I think. Um, is, is Peacock, do they own Sci-Fi? I thought they were, I thought it was still they're on Sci-Fi. NBC. It's NBC. Okay. And NBC owns sci-fi. So okay. it's got the first two seasons of Resident Alien. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of it or don't remember those early episodes, uh, this involves an alien who comes crashing to Earth, uh, takes on the identity of a small Colorado town doctor, and then um, gets pulled into solving various, well, I think one or two murder mysteries in the town Uh and we're still in, I think we're still in season one. So we haven't gotten on to, to season two yet, but it is wild. Occasionally, like just groaningly inappropriate. The opening animations where they show you how to be a human and then how not to be a human are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like my wife and I have been watching it together and she's not a big sci-fi geek, but I think she's been enjoying it. And the throwbacks to law and order, um, dun, dun. are hilarious. Cause yeah, dun, dun. Cause when my, my, my wife was pregnant with my daughter, who's, you know, the one who's now in college, uh, we were joking that Jordan was going to come out of the womb saying "dum dum" because yeah. we <laughs> watch it so often. So many marathons, <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, yeah, it's not giving away a lot. It, it is basically it's like Northern Exposure meets Law and Order meets a sitcom. And there is one episode, and maybe it's a couple of episodes, and I think it's in season two because I I haven't really watched, I haven't seen season two very much. I've just seen snippets of it where. Um, I think the alien's name is Harry or his human name is Harry yes. Uh, yes. gets hit on the head and has amnesia and thinks he is Lenny Briscoe <laughs> from law and order. <laughs> I have not seen that one yet. <laughs> That's fantastic. Because he, he, well, he, he marathoned so much law and order to learn how humans behave. Right. You know, and we all uh, those of us who have watched Law and Order know how addicting it can be. So, uh, oh, yeah, you know, you can't just watch one. Yeah, I mean, seriously, there was there was one when when my wife was at the very end of her pregnancy with like the, the, the secret 10th month of pregnancy that they don't tell you about. Right. Because um, <laughs> my daughter went so long. Uh, we were just sitting there on the sofa watching Law and Order. And it was just like we lost a whole weekend. Right. It was on TBS. <laughs> and it was like. I can't tell you how many hours of Law and Order we watched. So yep. it's yep. been a, a nice little uh, reminisce. You can, you can only watch them so many in a row. Like we will watch like one or two. They're they're a little bit longer. I think they're like forty five minutes, fifty minutes. So like we'll take in one or two a night. So that's so far the only thing we really want to watch on Peacock. So I think as soon as we're done with Resident Evil, we're going to dump it. But uh, 
We shall see. There is a new Law and Order out, which is not a geeky thing, but apparently they have rebooted it, and some of the original actors are back. So nice. Maybe we'll, you know. Yeah, you're getting a little robot-y. So maybe drop out and drop back in. Yeah. So why don't we, on that note, why don't we toss it over to you? What have you been up to? Yeah. Um. So my first thing, uh, and this was a few weeks ago, since we haven't recorded in a while, uh, when snow was still on the ground out here. Uh, I went and test drove a Tesla. Aaron and I have been looking at getting a new car because we've got two kids that are of driving age and we kind of need another car because one of our cars is really, really old. Um, Saturn went out of business shortly after we bought that car. So we need another car and we really enjoy electric cars. And it's uh, so we looked at a bunch of hybrids and electrics and price wise, the Model X and uh, that we test drove and the Model Y, which we saw in their showroom, there's a showroom here in Indianapolis area, and we actually got to see the Model Y. We're actually probably going to get the Model Y, but the Model X test drive was really nice. It's exactly what I would have expected from any electric car like our Leaf, our Nissan Leaf, which we do own, which I've loved since 2012 driving a Leaf. And, uh, you know, back when gas prices were for over $4 a gallon and the lease on the leaf <laughs> was less than the cost of my gas, um, for the car that I had been driving, which was the Saturn. Uh, <laughs> so we still have the Saturn and the leaf, but it, it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, the lower end Teslas, which is what we're looking at, we're not looking at a luxury car or anything like that, but we wanted a car that had better range. The Model Y has about a 300 to 330 mile ideal range. You know, if it gets cold, it's going to be less. If it's going to be highway speeds, it will be less. But there is such a good network of chargers across the nation that most chargers you could go and sit for 15, 20 minutes and get back to 80% charge. That may seem like a lot if you're used to going to get gas, and it is, but if you're taking a road trip, getting out and walking around, you know, at a gas station can take 15 minutes right there. So it's a similar sort of thing, in my opinion, and I'm willing to do that. Uh, but for the most part, it's going to be around Indianapolis driving is what we're looking at. Yeah, it, I was I was surprised price range wise, you know, the, the Tesla prices have come down a little bit, but also electric car prices, car prices in general have gone up a little bit because of pandemic and shortages and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of in a comparable range. Um, we were looking at a couple of other electrics, but like the one that Aaron was really interested in, which I can't recall at the time uh, at this moment was not going to be available for an entire year. Um, like it's not even out yet. So, uh, and then the other one that we were looking at that is out the the wait time is really long um, and they usually when they get those cars, they ship them to the East Coast or the West Coast. So the best way for us to get a car is to find an East Coast or West Coast dealer, buy the car from them and then drive it back, which just seems kind of ridiculous wow. um, because they wow. just like we could order. We we were told we could order the car from the dealership here, but the East coast and West coast dealerships are the ones that are actually getting the deliveries of that same car. They don't, they're not delivering to the Midwest. So I don't know why that's what I was told. It's weird. So we're, we we're looking at the model Y it's pretty cool. It's uh, got a lot of amenities and such. And I actually did just read, this is not the reason why we would get it, but I did just read an article saying that uh, Tesla want is working with valve to get steam on to the in dash entertainment area for Tesla's. So you'd be able to play a majority of your steam games while sitting in your car. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so during that 15, 20 minutes, you could play horizon zero dawn because you can hook up an Xbox controller to your Tesla, which I think is hilarious. That is, that is hilarious. That's Welcome fantastic. to the future. We don't have flying cars, we don't have jetpacks, but we can play game systems in our car. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Wow. So a couple of other things, though. Uh, I 
am letting things, some things from my, my past go. I have held on to the domains for after Serenity and the Game Master Show for many a year, um, paying their their upkeep. After Serenity was still up with its feed okay, but obviously we I haven't posted anything there in over 10 years, I think. And then the Game Master Show ended later, but had been hacked about five or six different times and had garbage in the feed, um, like Hello World sort of stuff, because I kept trying to redo WordPress on that site. So I shut both of those feeds down, both of those domains down. Uh, the feeds were shut down earlier and converted over to this one a couple months back. There was no reason to really keep them uh, where they weren't going to get used. I'll see about having somebody else have fun with them. Maybe hopefully not squatters, but probably squatters. <laughs> and then the last thing uh, that I've been doing is uh, I had been watching critical role for a while as, as people who watch the show know um, their campaign three has been getting started and I haven't, quite it hasn't quite hit with me but one of the things that i saw recently was dropout tv which is also which is run or their parent company i think is college humor um they released episode one of starstruck which originally was brennan lee mulligan's mother is an actress and author and in new york she and a bunch of other women uh women actors uh they're back then in the 70s in the early 70s there weren't a lot of plays or musicals that had uh parts for women so they wrote this play musical comedy sort of thing called starstruck and set it in the in the future it's all weird there are a lot of female uh lead characters because that's what they were aiming for um, and then later on, it turned into a comic book uh, and it's been going along and been through several different publishers. Um, and so and there's even a huge wiki out there with a lot of the lore. And so I think uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan is the GM for for their Dimension 20 uh, group, which does stuff like like Critical Role. It's a bit more produced, you know, more camera cuts, et cetera, more editing. But uh, there are a whole bunch of sketch, comedy, improv actors, and they sit down and play. And this is just their latest campaign. They had a lot of lot of fun. It's uh, Dimension Twenty, a Starstruck Odyssey. Their ship is shaped and painted like a giant hot dog. And it was a <laughs> surplus military ship. And then I think in the at, toward the end of the first or second episode, the previous captain did not keep up with any payments whatsoever. All of that stuff went in, a, not in arrears, but like were, were late payments, et cetera, and had lapsed. And so they re-registered it and it's called the worst, the W-R-S-T's, <laughs> R-S-T. Um, but with the play on the brought a bratwurst. So they fly that around the galaxy, get into trouble everywhere. Uh, and the cast of characters is, is hilarious and amazing. I will freely admit that the brain slug that one of the characters <laughs> in uh, sc our scum and villainy game, the concept of the brain slug in you know, just kind of living in someone's head uh, came directly from that. Nice. You know, we've had, I've there have been brain slug type creatures in in prior prior games that I have run that other other players have have come up with but this particular instance was inspired by that. And yeah, and so the brain slug is actually the character. It was good enough that I subscribed to Dropout TV for a month. Oh nice. Um and tried it out and I might stick with it because they've got a lot of other stuff on there. I'm not going to turn into a a commercial for them more than I already am, but they've got, they've got like a, a game show on a couple of game shows on there. One of which is, um, actually, which they also release on YouTube where they say something about some geeky property and there is an inaccuracy in it. And just like jeopardy, you have to buzz in, but instead of saying, saying things as a question, you have to say, um, actually, and then give the actual answer. And it's pretty hilarious nice. too. Nice. That's about it for me for the last 
couple of weeks, um, you know, uh, the highlights, I, sh- I shall say, uh, that I can remember after my nap. Let's talk about our main topic. We we talked about it a little bit here and there uh, over the last season or two that you run a lunchtime game. And one of the questions that has always been there there in my mind is, how in the heck do you run Dungeons and Dragons in an hour? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, lunchtime RPGs and uh, <laughs> take two, because the first time a little bit imploded on the pad, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we apologize to the folks who are on the stream. Uh, but in any case, uh, so I've been running a lunchtime game for a number of years, starting back in 2010. And when I told David about this, uh, he remarked, well, how the hell do you run a, <laughs> a lunchtime game using D&D? And uh, so to start, um, we didn't run D&D. So the, although it was inspired by Mike Merle's... Um, of Wizards of the Coast fame's tweets about his lunchtime D&D game, um, we didn't think we could actually run a third edition or fourth edition game in an hour. Um, because the the setup for our game is we have one hour every week uh, to play. And um, that means that over the course of a whole month, you're going to have basically the equivalent of one four-hour session, right? Because that's just basic math. But it does change the pacing and your approach to the, to the game and what have you. So we started off by um, by playing Savage Worlds. Now, the, the group I was playing with were, some of them were lapsed gamers, like they hadn't played since like second edition. Um, others were gamers who just wanted to play more. And we're like, hey, we're all geeks. We all work in IT. We should just get together and play over lunch. Um, so I pitched Savage Worlds because it is fast, fun, and furious, and it it lived up to it. We could knock out combats really quickly. You could have like two combats in an hour with some narrative in between, and it and it worked out really well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It, I I would say it's a it's a critical thing when we get into like lessons learned for lunchtime gaming. Having a game that runs fast is really important because you can't have. It is difficult to have combats that span over multiple weeks when you know you only get to do it one hour at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, from Savage Worlds, we moved on to Numenera. A bunch of us were really excited about Numenera where it came when it came out, so we decided we would try that. Um, from there, we went to Dragon Age, um, which I think has become Fantasy Age and Modern Age at this point from yes. uh, Green Ronin. Because we all love the Dragon Age, uh, the, the Dragon Age video games and the mechanics of Dragon Age, uh, the tabletop game. Uh, you know, we, we definitely played up like the original Dragon Age style, like you hit somebody and blood goes everywhere and you're having an <laughs> entirely, you know, normal conversation covered in gore because that's totally what happened all the time in the original uh, Dragon Age game. Everyone lives in a slaughterhouse. Um, Everybody lives in a slaughterhouse. And so after that, we actually, we, we did get to D&D and we got to D&D 5th edition because D&D 5e actually can run in the time allotted. Now, it may be that your, you know, combat might take up the entire session. It might go for a whole hour, but that's okay because you have an hour. I do have some combats that occasionally go a little bit beyond that. Um, and that was more of a problem when we first started playing because when we first started playing, we were playing in the real world. And for like a decade, we played in the real world. But at some point during the pandemic, we moved entirely online. But even before the pandemic, we were realizing that like having your gaming stuff at work is challenging, mm-hmm. right? So like we would play, we would find various places around the college that I work where we could play. When that didn't work, we would go off site to my house in the game room that I'm currently uh, streaming from. Um, or we went over to my other friend's house once he had a kid and uh, she would sit off to the side while we were gaming. But logistically, like having your battle map and like your lunchbox filled with stuff, uh, it's it's challenging. So, uh, like I think two or three years ago, we decided to do the uh, uh, the Waterdeep heist adventure, Dragon Heist. Um, the, oh. Dragon Heist was one of them. Yeah, yeah, Dragon Heist. It's set in Waterdeep. It's like a, the the setup is that you, like you have to like steal some treasure from a vault or what have you. Um, and so we bought, we all went in on the books, the, basically the virtual books through roll 20 so that mm. we could just say, okay, well, here's your virtual desktop, right? Like we would meet in a conference room. We have a big, huge TV in there that we are a huge monitor that you just throw it up on. Nice. Um, and then people just needed to remember to bring their books um, or really just their character sheets. And once you put your character sheets in roll 20, as long as you had a device, it was it was pretty straightforward. So in hindsight, that set us up to move into online play. Um, what we're currently doing is alternating between two campaigns. So we've got my D&D 5th edition Scales of Truth campaign, uh, which started right around the beginning of the pandemic. This is like science fantasy, mutations, Numenera, weird stuff. 
And then we alternate with a GURPS light game, which is exceedingly light. Like we are using the minimal <laughs> amount of GURPS that you could possibly use. We didn't even create our characters. The GM came up with all the characters for us. Ah, cool. uh, but the setup is it's a Fast and the Furious campaign driven by GURPS light. And so the physics, the logic, everything is based on the Fast and the Furious movies. And so we are basically playing a crew that is going around. We got framed for, well... We didn't get framed. We blew up a dam. You did it. <laughs> we did it. We did the job. We're not. We're not. We're not good people. Uh, we blew up a dam. They they paid us in stolen uh, Chinese gold from uh, from the like the Chinese National Bank. Uh, we were set up for that heist, which we did not mm. do. And uh, for the last two years, we have been uh, fleeing around the world. We have our own submarine. It's great. Um, but it's, it was a fun game because the logic of that game was always like, you know, gamers, and we've seen this with our Scum and Villainy campaign, like, you start overthinking it. And we're going to have to take a step back and go, but is this how it would play out in Fast and the Furious? And right. if it w is, which movie, right? Like, because the physics and rules of Fast and Furious, the original, are very different from F9, <laughs> where I think they go into space. <laughs> I have not seen that one yet. I have not either, but uh, I think we're probably, we've decided we're kind of around like Fast Five, like midway through the franchise, right? Like we're still in the first movie. Maybe we're in the second movie. We haven't quite figured it out yet, but like, so I think they're a little bit bonkers, but not totally bonkers, right? We're, we haven't jumped a car between two buildings yet. Gotcha. So what works and what doesn't work? So um, as I was saying, uh, Savage Worlds was perfect. Because really what you need is a lightweight game that's really easy to learn and fast to play. The original, the version of Savage Worlds we started playing with was Explorer's Edition. It cost like 10 bucks. Um, the book was super thin. It was really easy. We just did our kind of own, well, we did uh, the Tales of the Day After Ragnarok campaign um, by Ken Height. And so it was cool. Like it was really easy for people to pick up. Um, so that's one thing. Game that is fast easy to learn and fast to play. Because again, when you have new people who are coming into the game, unless they already know the rule system and when you're playing with your friends at work, your chances of that are maybe low. Um, they don't have a lot of on the job time <laughs> during the game to actually learn it. Cause it's mm -hmm. only one hour every week. Right. So, and the and Savage of the game, the faster. Yeah. And Savage worlds like combat in Savage worlds is not like the tactical combat that D and D can be. Right. It's leans more toward, role play and narration and doing cool stuff then like even fifth edition does a lot of that too but it has its roots in old school wargaming and it still hasn't you know detached all of those roots <laughs> and yes. it can't and it can't in some ways because people expect a certain amount of moving miniatures around on the board or at least that feel yeah, and, and with Savage Worlds, uh, your most of your you know grunt NPCs one hit they're down, right? Like they might like maybe two hits, right? Like they might be shaken, um, and then if they take the wound, they're out. Your your big bad wild cards, like the the big bad villains, only three wounds, right? And so I have had uh, I love Savage Worlds as I've said many times before, but you, if you're a DM who or a GM who's running Savage Worlds, you have to be prepared to lose your precious, precious NPCs because they're just going to catch an ax to the head and then that die is going to explode and then it's going to explode like 20 times and everybody's going to laugh and think it's freaking awesome because it is. And, uh, well, that ends the session. Because yep. <laughs> yep. the evil serpent overlord is now dead. And, uh, yeah, we'll pick up here uh, next week. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, but that so, is the joy so, of Savage Worlds. <laughs> in other words, that's GM code for okay, they killed my big bad that I was planning on having the entire campaign revolve around. I need a week to come up with something else. <laughs> yeah. Or no, wait, look, his brother just stepped out from right. behind the barn. Um, that yeah, wasn't totally really had the big, big bad. Right. Well, and, and honestly, like most of my big bads, like I, I it goes to how you design for Savage Worlds. Right. Like you don't want to put that guy facing the PCs early on, unless he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve and there are enough other threats to kind of tr draw attention away. But if you do throw him out there, you do have to be prepared that he can take a bullet axe or fire extinguisher to the head. And it, I mean, it's, it's very <laughs> savage worlds is very much like I want to run an Indiana Jones temple or Indiana Jones, uh, not temple of doom. 
uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark game and you have Nazis and you can punch all the Nazis that you want. But the one big Nazi, the one main Nazi in the trench coat doesn't get into the line of fire until the very end of the movie. And then. Right. And then he takes himself out, kind of. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, it lends itself very well. Numenera worked really well. Numenera is pretty rules light. Dragon Age worked really well because. Cool. Um, and it had stunt dice, so it had some interesting mechanics, and it and it just it played very fast. D and D fifth edition has not played as fast as all the other things. Um, if I could, I would probably go back to Savage Worlds because I love it the most. Um, but I mean, it's it's been good. We've had a lot of fun with it, and we can pack an awful. I, I would say we can pack an awful lot of action into one hour when playing five E, especially if the combats are are pretty manageable. Which actually brings me to my next point, which is. Really simple, focused stories. Like we get one day a week to advance the story, and so the the story advances in, in pretty small chunks. And right now we're alternating weeks, so I get two Wednesdays a month to advance the Scales of Truth campaign. Right. So having massive, grandiose, sweeping storylines would take forever. <laughs> yep. So I try and make my adventures like discrete chunks that make you that allow you to establish a, a sense of progress with each session but um but aren't going to go on forever. And so action I guess is my, is my last thing. Uh you don't have a lot of time for box text or exposition, so get people rolling dice as quickly as possible. Um that goes also for getting people to the table, right? So, you know, the virtual table or, or real world table, geeks love to talk. People love to talk. And so, you know, we haven't seen each other for a week come to the table, you're going to want to start talking. Um, but I think people just have to have the discipline that you're going to sit down and you're going to game, which we pretty much had over the decade and change that we've been doing this. Yep. That's one thing that I noticed and also vamp a little bit and hopefully your, your bandwidth gets better. One thing I noticed about the scum and villainy game is I've decided that the first 15 minutes to a half an hour is our group just off stream, just talking and catching up. And and me doing whatever technical things needed are needed to do to get the stream ready, but basically to kind of get all the talking out of the way, all the social talking out of the way, and to kind of get people socially lubricated in terms of getting ready to play. But we're not at the point where we can just sit down and go. And so I've right. I've decided, you know, I'm not going to push for a really super hard start time. We need that buffer. And, and so I would say there have been times where we just, we just give up and we just hang out and geek <laughs> out. Um, sometimes there's one right memorable time. Go yeah. Ahead, sorry. So, sometimes, especially during the pandemic, right? Like we had one memorable time where we were talking about the merits of Christmas sweaters. And if anyone actually ever enjoyed wearing Christmas sweaters and if wearing Christmas sweaters, ironically counted as enjoying it, enjoying it, and we spent like over an hour with a friend who pulled a whiteboard into his room to be able to like sketch out the math <laughs> <laughs> on wearing <laughs> Christmas sweaters. Came up with an equation on on Christmas sweaters and the market thereof. Nice. So the uh, the inverse is that complicated stories don't really work unless you're going to meet every Monday. And you know, if you're going to meet every day for lunch, you can pull it off. For our group, who's only doing it once a week or maybe twice a week, you can't have complicated stories. Yeah. Combats that stretch out over months aren't going to work. People lose their interest. They can't remember where they were. If you're not using a digital desktop, tabletop, you can't actually keep up with it. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. And games that are hard to learn, right, or play quickly, or like any of those kinds of things. You may want to play, you know, I don't know, real GURPS. <laughs> I mean, yeah, or you may want to, like, pull out, you know, like, like, uh, uh, your aliens RPG, but if not everybody right. in your group knows that game, not only are you going to try and fit playing the game within an hour, but you're fitting learning the game within an hour, which yes. is really hard if it's a if it's a complex yes. system. So I, th I think there are ways around that. Like we haven't, we may have done a little bit of this where we knew we were going to have sessions that were going to go a little bit longer when we started when we were learning the rules. Um, so we could go an hour and a half. Um, or you could like say, okay, well, we're going to block out 
a three-hour game just to learn the rules, to set up the lunchtime game so that it gets people comfortable enough. Sure. So there are ways around it, but still, like, a complicated game is a complicated game, and if it's complicated, you probably can't get through learning it in three hours. I could see a lunchtime game being... I could see it being very role-playing heavy, but without a, without a lot of intertwining plot lines if you're only gaming once a week for an hour. That's not a lot of time to like cement details in someone's head unless someone is really taking notes and then reviewing those notes constantly. But I think, you know, having a much more lighthearted game like your fast and furious type game sounds absolutely perfect to just have some fun at lunch. Right. Which is the goal, right? At the end of the day, we just want to hang out as friends uh, and coworkers and sling some dice. Yep. Yep. As far as tips and tricks for running your lunchtime game, um, I think some of this is going to be obvious uh, and it, it's applicable to any game that you run, but it's super critical for a lunchtime game. As a game master, you have no time at the beginning of the session to prepare. If I take 15 minutes to prepare, then I only have 45 minutes left to run the game. So I always make sure that my maps are ready, my tokens are ready, I know where my rule books are. I bookmark my monsters. So either I have physical bookmarks in Chrome or I've got physical bookmarks. <laughs> I have digital bookmarks in Chrome and physical bookmarks in like my monster manuals <laughs> and what have you. Um, and I label them, right? So I can, I have a, you know, cause if you end up with like 10 stickies, which is what I currently have for scales of truth, uh, which of these stickies is the monster I need? So I go in and I label them, right? It's a little bit of upfront time, but it helps during the game. Cause you need to save every minute that you can. Yep. Um, you know, so overall don't waste precious time getting ready. Right. Um, the uh i think the big thing and this is some with i think scum and villainy um don't worry guys we'll eventually release uh podcast episodes for you so that you can listen to the scum and villainy game um but you have to adjust the story beats to the time that you have right so if you're used to playing a four-hour game there's a cadence to that game as a game master you know if you're running D D, if i'm running D D, I know i can get in at least two combats maybe three depending on what my goal is for that particular night with some role-playing thrown in, right? Because 5e is fast enough that you could pull that off. Right. Um, or maybe one big, like, centerpiece encounter um, and a lot of role-playing. But one way or another, like, as you're running the game, if you've been doing four-hour sessions every week for years, as many of us have, you know what that cadence is. You know where you're going to end. You have a pretty good idea when you're coming up with your adventure about how things are going to go. And you know when you need to speed it up or you know when you need to slow it down. Um the same thing is true for the lunchtime games. Um, it's just harder, <laughs> right? Because you only have that hour. And so as you're getting, if you're used to the four-hour setup, like in a four-hour setup, the first hour is just like stage setting. Might be, right? It could be a big combat to kick things off, but like it's probably like they're getting into the adventure, people are goofing around and what have you. Um, that arc just doesn't work for a one-hour game. Quick setup get them into whatever the adventure is, which I think is why Scales of Truth has, has worked really well is because it's a hex crawl. And so they have a hex crawl by its very nature has these very small non-story driven encounters. Like each, each encounter itself is a story, but while there is an overarching story and that they're questing for the fabled Black Lotus, uh, it's not like a story story, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the MacGuffin that they are chasing after. <laughs> But meanwhile, they run into, you know, flail snails and ion stones and um, weird six-legged goats and that kind of stuff, right? And so that allows you to kind of have like this little vignette that you set up for the hour, maybe a quick combat, and then move on to the next one. And it's self-contained so that people don't really need to remember what happened last week. Cool. Um and I think it matters as much for the DM to learn the cadence as it does for the players to learn the cadence. I think this is where our, our GURPS game has really come together. I, think I give a lot of credit to our game master because he's done a, an excellent job with it. He's figured out how to end each session on a cliffhanger. Nice. Let me let me vamp a little bit because your, your audio is kind of weird. They do that on the Dimension 20 sessions as well is they'll play and it will be mostly a role-playing session and then and they might have like some narrated combat in the middle of it. Usually what will happen is they'll get to the end of a session and they'll start getting into a fight and Brennan will have them roll initiative. And then he'll be like, and, and we'll continue on next session. 
And so at the beginning of the next session, they are immediately in a battle. And because it's so well produced, they have they have a whole art department that makes a really cool battle set, etc. But that is what the next session is in its entirety, is that battle. And so they they kind of script is the wrong word, but they plan it so that at the end of a session, they're not going to get into a combat in the middle of a session, is what I'm trying to say. They get into the combat at the end of the session so that you have all session the of the next session to do the combat and if you have any time left over you can role play some more yeah right so the uh i think for the for the gurps campaign what we've been able to do is like that sort of thing but also if you're going to pause the action pause it when the guy just got kicked out the window and fell three stories to perfect death we don't know we'll pick it up next week right So that those kinds of things allow you to kind of carry the combat over. And with with GURPS, we don't even have a tabletop. Like if we do anything, we use a Jamboard, which is like a virtual whiteboard for yep. for well, it's a virtual whiteboard. You can use it for whatever. And so with with GURPS, it has been very much. Whereas mine is very, I guess, serialized is the right word. I always mess these up. My episodes tend to be very self more self contained. Right, individual encounters. Um, GURPS tends to flow from one session to the next, and the story we're very much picking up where the where the action left off, and gotcha. it's less, much less self-contained. Gotcha. Okay, but I, th- I think we can get away with that because there's not a battle map, and just the nature of the game and how we've set it up and how we role play it, like like the whole group kind of comes to, and this is a good pause point. I don't know. It, it's just very organic, and it's surprising every time it happens. <laughs> <laughs> So I would I would suggest uh, you know consider using a pre-generated world. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to originally run the Dragon Heist game was because it was set in the Forgotten Realms, and so any place you are in Waterdeep, like every inch of that city has been documented <laughs> by Watsi over the years. Yep. So if somebody wants to know about a given god, you just Google it during the session, and boom, you've got it right. Uh, so that's that's very helpful. Yeah, we um, kind of talked about but, that in session five about how. You know, a lot of players would know, like, you don't have to talk about what's in Waterdeep because all of your players can look it up and maybe aficionados of Waterdeep. So all of that knowledge is already there. Right. Which I find kind of ironic, but I probably because you've been running this, you guys have been playing this game for like 12 years now, uh, these sessions that you both of the both of the games that you just described are not in pre-generated worlds. <laughs> they are not. They are not. But I will also say the the the, the on the flip side, don't do a pre-gen, <laughs> and just be comfortable with making everything up on the fly, right? Yeah. So I think, uh, or not necessarily everything on the fly, but it's it's a much more collaborative, um, creative world building, right? Because yeah. and we're all cool with that. Right. So if you go to the other opposite extreme, then you're just kind of like doing a lot more improv. And um, well, I mean, the the Fast and the Furious game, you have a framework there. You know, you, yes, everybody is familiar, at least through commercials about what Fast and the Furious is kind of about. <laughs> and it's crazy. And it's set on Earth and everyone here lives on Earth. You have a, a campaign setting because it's modern day. And crazy, so you have that. Uh, I imagine the uh, the the Ring World game, uh, Scales of Truth, is probably a lot harder to get across. But like we had talked about, because I just we just released episode five when we're recording this. I remember you talking about how some of your characters kind of grabbed the narrative reins, and they knew that this there was a, a lizard folk sort of kingdom. And one of your characters is right. is a lizard and basically was like, like really grabbed and ran with that sort of concept. And so if you're willing to allow players to grab your world and run with it, then having not not having a, an established setting is probably OK. Yeah. And I think and it is a hex crawl. So I mean, the amount of work that I put into it has been mostly just detailing the different hexes. Right. Which makes it very easy to run. Yeah. So uh, the last thing I would suggest is think about what you can do outside of the game. Um, and we've had a little bit of this with Scum and Villainy too, uh, which is next session planning, right? So what are we going to do next? Don't yep. do that during the hour that you have for gaming. Talk about it in Discard. Talk about it in Slack. Um, treasure picks. You've just slayed the dragon. Uh, 
Everybody wants to pick treasure. Okay, you can do that in Slack, right? You can roll dice in Slack. Do it there. Uh, leveling up. Show up with your character leveled up. Although 5th edition is right. pretty straightforward about this. Yeah. Because <laughs> usually there's not a lot of math involved. But, you know, more complicated games. Like, if you don't know what you're going to do and you're the kind of person who needs 15 minutes to figure out what their character needs to be at the next level, do that beforehand. I imagine uh, while it can be fun for role-playing, it can also just be an exercise in flipping through books. Uh, shopping <clears throat> is something you want <laughs> to do out of game. Yeah, I think it. I think it, to your point... It, most of our shopping adventures have been very role-playing intensive. They've been kind of hilarious. When they finally made it to, um, I think it was Iron Crown, the big dwarven city, they had accrued all of this gold. And so there were a lot of role-playing adventures in the city. <laughs> nice. I, and, and that makes sense to me, you know, it, but if you're like, okay, we need three horses and we need to buy some food and blah, 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 blah. And, and it's just like an exercise of bookkeeping. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's out. You know, but if you're like going to the magic shop and you have an idea for a magic shop uh, proprietor and just having a half an hour of role playing with the party there, that sounds perfect for for like half the session. Yes. Yes. Uh, don't balance your fantasy checkbook <laughs> during right. the session. You right. can get away with that in the real world. You can spend an hour arguing over treasure, um, which, you know, D&D fans will do. Um, yeah. Don't do it in an online game, in a in a our game because you're just you're not going to have time so I, th I think there's a fair amount like i think we've seen like we were, i was alluding to i think we're seeing some of these same sorts of lessons being applied to the scum and villainy game because we don't have a four-hour session um we might have two and a half to three would you say that's about how it's been going yeah i mean the majority of us are middle-aged gamers or have young kids and so time is precious uh and we start fairly early in the evening but it's also on Thursdays. So we have work the next day and I certainly don't function with very little sleep. So usually we'll go till like 10 to 10 30 before people, I, I think that's basically been our, our ranges. So it's, it's between two hours and three and a half hours, depending upon when we start and we go until the adventure's done. If I feel that as the GM, if I feel that everybody's been is is having fun and is still engaged i can still throw some more stuff at you guys before the the whatever adventure heist whatever it is ends but if i see people like oh okay it's getting a little after 10 and i'm getting a little tired but also i see a couple of glazed eyes over there you know it is perfectly fine to wrap things up you know try and make it exciting and wrap things up at the end. And we've, we've actually adjusted as well um, because we're all the downtime we're doing over, you know, over our discord, choosing the jobs we're going doing over discord as well. Uh, and then at the beginning of our streams, I go over what, what happened during the downtime and I go over what they chose, what you all chose as your next job. And we so we basically start with the either action or role playing of the beginning of the job, which may be talking to the person that is giving you information about the job. So we're we're not at the point where, OK, you guys choose an approach, let's roll dice. We're a slightly before that. You've had a selection of jobs to choose from and you go, let's find out more about this one. We're going on this one. And then we role play and choose the approach and you know the one point and then we roll the engagement roll and we're off to the races and i th i think it's been working well i think um i feel like the I, th I feel like you've been hitting that figuring out that cadence is like over the last three episodes i think the, the yeah. last one in particular you know not i think we've had fun with all of them i've certainly had fun with all of them but you know cool. starting to figure out okay how much can you can you fit in Right, yeah. into these different segments. Yeah, and and I mean, this doesn't fit necessarily with the uh, lunchtime gaming, but it is a new system. So, and we talked about that earlier on. So, we're all still getting used to the system, um, right? And we're in a we're in a time crunch, um, and we're also doing it for Twitch and podcast reasons. There's a lot of things kind of stacked against us that we're rapidly having to 
pulling some business jargon in, uh, rapidly having to iterate <laughs> on so that we're like, like after the first episode or two, you know, the first game or two, we're like, okay, we got to cut the downtime out. You know, I think after the second episode, we're like, we have to cut the downtime out. Um, and we have to get into the action much faster during the game and actually just play it. Um, and you know, I've learned a, f- a few things as well about like how to run uh, scum and villainy um, is a little, little bit like Brendlewood Bay. Have some pretty well defined, at least one, if not a couple, pretty well defined NPCs that you guys will run into, and then just a whole smash of like here are the troubles that they could get into, and that I can just kind of like a random encounter table, I can just pick pick one that makes sense and then describe it as it comes up in the game. Um, and so I have an idea of like the beginning and the end, but the middle is just this big swirling mass of possibilities, which the, which you guys as players totally have the, have the ability to influence. Yeah. It's, it's fun. And we'll talk about it more at some point. I think we'll just like do a, Hey, how is scum and villainy going? But I do think to your point, like, at the end of the day, a lunchtime game is very much about the same challenges we're experiencing with Scum and Villainy, which is you've got time crunch. We need to be focused. And I, I guess the, the lesson I've learned over all these years of doing it, I, I couldn't believe that it, it's been like 12 years since we started doing this. <laughs> um, it doesn't feel that long. Yep. But uh, like we, we started playing in an old psych lab <laughs> in a building of one of the in one of the academic buildings. It was hilarious. Nice. Um, but, you know... It's doable. And I think during the pandemic, it's Mm -hmm. even more doable than it had been before. You just kind of have to like, everybody has to understand what it is you're doing when you're coming into it. Everybody has to kind of be patient, figure out what works for you. This is what worked for me. Um, But, you know, if you want to get together a Thursday game, I think, you know, and and you want to play over lunch, like there's no better time to do it, I think, right, than than right now. Because we have even more tools thanks to the pandemic. People have better audio, they have better video, unless you're me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you were at work, this would be a lot better video. This is true. This is true. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, If you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at layerofsecrets.com or you can tweet at us on Twitter. Do they even say tweet at us anymore? At layer of secrets, 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 at layer of secrets. We do stream this live on Twitch. We, we are doing it now. Layer of secrets there, all one word. Uh, so if you want to see it all unedited when we, you know, dropped out in the middle and decided, no, we're not going to do it until we're going to try and record another day and then changed our minds and came back. Yeah, you could you could see how that sausage is made if you want. We did have we did have a couple people watch, uh, <laughs> which was a little surprising to me. <laughs> but again, layer of secrets, uh, twitch.com slash layer of secrets. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedbacks, topics, ideas, your own thoughts on what we've talked about as uh, comments on the episodes. So we'll try and get this episode out fairly soon compared to the last couple. Have a nice day, everybody.